to another episode of Speaking Through My World, where I talk about my three passions in life, and that is women, Africa, and the arts. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the drastic situation that is happening in Kenya regarding femicide. And um, in conversation today, I am speaking with Vivian Uwa, who is from Feminist in Kenya. So a bit of background. As we know, in 2018, South African feminists, activists, advocates, and the public rallied for the first ever total shutdown march. Loisa Saliso is the initiator and strategic mobilizer for the total shutdown, shutdown women's movement. As soon as plans were in action, our neighboring countries joined forces, and soon it became very evident that sexual gender-based violence and femicide is not just a South African problem. In 2019, alarmed by the increasing cases of femicide and intimate partner violence in Kenya, activists and feminists rallied together for their first ever total shutdown Kenya march to protest and demand accountability. Sadly, femicide still persists today. And as I said in this uh, episode, I'm chatting with Vivian Uwa, who is the co-founder of Feminists in Kenya. Feminists in Kenya is a black feminist movement organizing and amplifying feminist discourse and practice and building solidarity across other feminist movements. Vivian, how are you today? I'm all right. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you so much for having me on this platform and creating this space for conversation. No problem at all. We really thank you and you honor the work that, that you're doing in, in your part of the world. So um, talking about feminists in Kenya, do you want to just give us a bit of background on how it started, when it started, um, and, and, and what, you've, what you've accomplished so far? Yes, um, absolutely. So indeed, Feminist in Kenya was started in 2019 at the height of femicide cases, and it was greatly influenced by the total shutdown campaign movement in South Africa against gender-based violence. And at the time, we were a couple of feminist organizers, um, individual feminist organizers, creating feminist knowledge on dig digital platforms. And we did not in any way um, organize collectively, but we saw the rising cases of femicide and thought that we should talk about it. There was not much conversation happening around it, but when it was happening, it was completely justifying the deaths, the killings, and glorifying the perpetrators. And so we came together under the total shutdown KE match, greatly influenced by the amazing organizing work of South African women. And we organized a nationwide march against femicide and gender-based violence. Um, since then, we have continued to organize. We felt that it was so important to keep the momentum of the total shutdown KE match, and we continue to organize as a collective. And we have, over the past five years, completely grown, evolved, and we continue learning about feminist movement building. And now we work at the intersections of raising feminist political consciousness, as well as dismantling both all forms of violence at structural level and at interpersonal level, but also exploring how feminist technologies look like, um, or digital rights look like on, 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 on feminist on digital platforms, as well as um, being guided by the values of community joy and resistance in our work. And community specifically because we believe that we cannot do this work without being led by the very communities that experience, you know, the 
oppression that we dismantle and joy because we understand how this work sometimes can get tiring how this work sometimes is thankless you know and uh, we create spaces for joy spaces for rest and for spaces to just rejuvenate ourselves and resistance because we understand that our work as feminist activists is extremely political and it's important to um, dismantle the root causes of societal issues mm. That's incredibly powerful and so many um, interesting aspects there. First of all, you know, in terms of dismantling the, the structural patriarchy and, and the misogyny, because we know that that hides behind a lot of the laws and policies that protect them. What is the state of the criminal justice system regarding the high rates of femicide and gender-based violence in Kenya? Yeah, absolutely. Different systems have ways in which they enable the patriarchy and misogynistic narratives to flourish within them. The criminal justice system in Kenya is, is certainly not an exception. And we see, so when we think about the criminal justice system in Kenya, um, in relation to femicide especially, we have to think about its foundation in Kenya. And its foundation in Kenya is really colonial, right? We see the colonial remnants of, um, you know, the colonial remnants of legal code still making it into the Kenyan uh, justice system. And so we see um, the, the criminalization of marginalized groups, uh, including the criminalization of same-sex relationships. We see the criminalization of poverty through different avenues. We also see the establishment, the colonial establishment of the police force as a force that would basically um, control the population. And so this colonial legacy marries very, very well with the patriarchy in such a way that it creates a flawed, um, a structurally flawed criminal justice system. And this manifests in different ways when you speak about femicide. Um, so number one, um, there is a lot of public mistrust um, in the criminal justice system. There's no public confidence in the system. That means that cases of femicide go unreported. That means that we do not have clear data. We do not have a clear picture, clear representation of the actual femicide cases that are happening in Kenya. But also we have um, a lot of legal loopholes when we think about um, femicide and when we think about gendered crime specifically. Femicide is not really a crime in Kenya. It does not exist in Kenya's criminal law. It does not exist in Kenya's penal code. So that means that um, the law in a way invisibilizes these gender crimes and that means that we can, can therefore not get um, you know, the correct intervention um, mechanisms to address femicide or preventive mechanisms to address femicide. But also under criminal law, generally, we see the construction of the perfect victim. And this means that the credibility of victims who are considered not perfect, therefore, is questioned, um, you know, when they come to the criminal justice system. So the perfect victim trope involves uh, tropes or narratives around the victim um, uh, the victim or the survivor of violence having to be, you know, responsive or uh, 
cooperative with authorities. So if you're not cooperative with authorities, meaning that if you do not want to press charges, say, for instance, against your perpetrator, then you're not a perfect victim. If you go back to your abuser, then you're not a perfect victim. And we know that uh, these are not often, uh, this, is, this is not often the case, right? When it comes to survivors of violence, people sometimes, survivors sometimes find it very difficult to leave, um, you know, situations where they're being abused because of different reasons. Survivors sometimes find it extremely difficult to report these situations. So the criminal law, criminal law construction of um, the perfect victim really is dangerous to survivors, but also just the conversation around um, who is considered innocent in the eyes of the law and the racial constructions around this, the calories constructions around this, right? So the more vulnerable you look to the system, then that that makes you a victim, right? So if you do not fit within these boxes of the perfect victim, then your credibility as a survivor is questioned. Mm. All of these just major facets which just speak into what rape culture is about. Um, and and pushing those narratives and 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 I like the the the, the term that's being coined that the perfect victim because you know it's it's there's no such thing as we know uh, especially when it comes to emotional psychological abuse where it could be happening for many many years and and that person is then de dependent on the person who's who's perpetuating all of this violence against them so with these these different social attitudes and and community as you said is incredibly important in bringing about the discussions and discourse and so forth. But also communities and social attitudes play a role within this rape culture. And we can see it's been pushed through your criminal justice system. Um, how difficult has it been dealing with the cultural and the traditional mindsets that, that affect se sexual gender-based violence and, femi and femicide in Kenya? Yeah, absolutely. So for, for rape culture to exist and for rape culture to thrive, it has to be wielded in a society where power is viewed and practiced as domination. And in this case, we see uh, power being male power specifically being wielded against women, so male domination over women in what as feminists we have called the patriarchy. And so we see that you know, these societal attitudes, we see traditional norms and cultural norms reinforcing this power, reinforcing this patriarchy against women and it manifests in different ways. And one of these ways is through purity culture, right? So we see that um, there's some sort of insistence by the society um, on female purity, on womanhood uh, being pure and virginity and tropes like that. But we also see an insistence on the policing of women bodies and um, women's morality is specifically judged by you know the number of sexual partners that they've had the type of clothes that they wear the type of lifestyles that they lead the type of sexual orientation orientations that they have and so um, we also see these tropes being upheld and being reinforced also within pop culture in the media that we visualize in the in the entertainment that we you know engage with but also um, in Kenya, I think, even across Africa, we do see that there's some sort of tolerance to violence. There's some sort of cultural tolerance to violence. And this is reinforced even within schools, within boarding schools in Kenya. We had a conversation, I think, just last year around corporal punishment, the fact that we still beat African kids to me is a symbol of a society that tolerates violence, but also the, toler the, the, the tolerance of domestic violence um, in, in society, which is, you know, domestic violence is pretty much 
just viewed viewed as chastising, you know, the victim chastising your wife, right? Mm. And they say that these are traditional uh, cultures that you know we we should continue upholding. And so for me, I think that this this um, um, tolerance of violence is what makes society generally desensitized uh, to violence. But also there is the construction of womanhood by the, by the patriarchy. Under the patriarchy, womanhood is constructed in a certain way, right? So for you to be a woman, you have to be straight, right? Uh, and, and in white supremacy culture, you know, white, whiteness, white womanhood is what is elevated. You have to be feminine in this and that way, right? So, so I think that if you, as a woman, or if you do not fit into this patriarchal and white supremacist box of womanhood, therefore, um, you get to experience violence, and we see this in in trans communities. We see this in non-binary uh, communities. We see this, you know, uh, lesbian women experiencing violence, including violence things like corrective rape. And I do not know what is corrective about rape. We see this in conversion practices, right? So for me, this is these are some of the ways that tradition and culture and societal attitudes just work together to reinforce rape culture and to reinforce violence against women and mm. girls. And the, the reality of those colonialist attitudes that they seep into so many areas of how we see ourselves, how we don't see ourselves, um, you know, is, is, is also just incredibly worrying. But, but, but it's a reality of, of being African um, and or being part of a country that was, that was previously colonized. Uh, six months ago, you held a cohort. For the Feminist Transformative Justice Institute. Let's talk a little bit about that and what were the takeaways from that convening? Yeah, so um, the Feminist Transformative Justice Institute uh, was born out of our work with survivors of violence at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, just at that time, we were navigating with survivors the different pathways to justice that have been offered by the carceral state and realizing collectively that you know, these systems simply do not work for us. These systems simply do not respond to the needs of survivors. And so as a feminist collective, we began engaging with, you know, the transformative justice organizing work of black American feminists, um, black American feminists, Latin American feminists, but also um, exploring and reading about the traditional justice systems that existed in Africa uh, before colonization and just, you know, sitting with that. And so for the, the Feminist Transformative Justice Institute for us as a collective is just a space to raise feminist consciousness about transformative justice as a framework of, you know, doing things right, as a framework of trying again, as a framework of dreaming, but also this framework, we see it as a framework of um, undoing harm without causing more harm or causing more violence, mm -hmm. but also recognizing that, you know, we can dismantle the very systems that cause that harm in the first place. And also just reflecting, you know, um, in this institute as, you know, seeing our over-reliance seeing our over-reliance on a system that is carceral, a system that re-traumatizes survivors, a system 
that you know makes survivors spectators of their own lives within that system as well as criminalizing social rights and i love that you know one key takeaway that we had from this institute is just the realization that um, first of all that people all we've known, all we've known historically is that we have to go to this carceral state for redress. That's all we know, right? So it's going to take a lot of constant exploration, constant talking about uh, the transformative justice uh, uh, principles and mechanisms and frameworks to, to, to find collective redress outside of the carceral state, but also just recognizing that um, um, that you know people don't understand the practicalities of transformative justice right so we don't really know how that would look like because we, we, we rely on the carceral state so how does transformative justice practically look like and I love that we are in because of transnational feminist solidarity we are in conversation with feminists from all over who practice transformative justice and we can exchange learnings about their practices and we can curate you know um, a justice system that you know would work for everyone that would work for survivors especially marginalized survivors if it's um, undertaking restorative circles if it's undertaking healing circles safety planning for survivors mm -hmm. mediation and things like that i love that um, you know this is something that we are constantly th thinking through this is something that we are constantly learning together yeah. absolutely and you know from from taking a leaf from when we started our journey here in South Africa and it was no fault at the time of, of the feminists on the ground, but it was just about the resilience. And, and we took on those attitudes and we still have that resilience, but now it's being intentional about also listening to where our bodies are, listening to where our emotions are, listening to, to, to where we are, because the space that we're operating is abnormal. So obviously it will definitely have um, effects on on our psyche, on our emotions, on our relationships, and also our relationships with ourselves. So congratulations on that. Uh, moving into to the total shutdown that's happening this weekend, uh, can you just give us a bit more information on the areas that, that are going to be mobilizing and what are your further demands? Yeah, so we have mobilized uh, right now, I think, in, yeah, in nine cities and towns in Kenya. And that definitely has not been easy. But we have been, you know, extremely resilient, extremely um, working together in, you know, in synergies to bring together our energies and resources together to make uh, the mobilization happen in those nine cities. And we're also constantly learning about social movements and what it takes to really build mass movements around um, ending gender-based violence. So one key demand that we have for the total shutdown key image that's happening on Saturday is that we want femicide to be declared a national emergency, a national crisis by the president. We think that this declaration is going to not only signify an acknowledgement of you know, the severity of femicide in Kenya, but it's going to constitutionally require that the government takes an emergency response around addressing femicide. And it will also constitutionally require the president to give us an annual report during you know, their, uh, their um, statement of the nation, a state of the nation address annually. Uh, another critical demand that we have is that, you know, because femicide is not a crime, um, under Kenya's criminal law, we want 
legislation around this to be developed so that femicide is a distinct and specific crime. This will allow us as feminist organizers, but also the government, to put in key uh, measures, key preventive measures and key intervention measures to address uh, femicide. Another key demand that we have is the establishment of the commission on the elimination of violence and femicide against women and girls and importantly we want in this commission that it um it's, it, it constitutes 60 percent women and 60 percent men um to 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 mark up the two-thirds gender rule in kenya but also importantly that feminists get to sit in these commissions in these spaces because we've seen the intentional silencing of feminists by the government to not get to, to not get into this policy making spaces um so we think that it's important that feminists are in these spaces so that we can um, develop collectively a national action plan against femicide yeah. absolutely and i mean those demands are definitely not unreasonable at all because it all just speaks to human rights and, and making sure that our human rights aren't further violated. Uh, in solidarity, we stand with you, you know, uh, pushing as much as we can within the social spaces, using um, the, the hashtags and of course for those listeners outside of the country, I will um, put the social media handles for the feminists in Kenya and um, social media pages and of course the hashtags that we need to use. Uh, if there, is there anything else that, that you could possibly suggest that you know feminists outside could do um, to push this narrative to help with your movement um, moving forward? Yes, yes, um, I, I do think, first I want to appreciate the you know overwhelming support and solidarity that has come across Africa, from feminists across Africa and the world as well, in supporting the total shutdown KE march. And I also want to appreciate you, Rosie, for creating this space uh, for conversation um, and for amplifying you know, the statements and for amplifying you know, our position against femicide. And I think that um, something that we could work on in solidarity is just after this march, there's a lot of work to be done. So I'm looking forward to partnerships, transnational partnerships across the globe to see how we could think together first on transformative justice as an alternative to you know the carceral justice system but also explore new partnerships and you know and exchange ideas across geographies around what we could collectively do to end femicide so right now i just have really appreciate the amplification that's coming from all over and uh, i hope that we can part you know have other ways that we can you know work together in future Absolutely, absolutely, because synergies, particularly pan-African feminist synergies, are incredibly powerful, and we know that because that's why they're trying to silence us. So once again, um, from, from the feminists and, and activists from the South African region and from, from my community, we stand in solidarity. We send you so much love and so much strength um, and, and rest when the time is needed. And we definitely will pick up this conversation in a couple of weeks' time just to see where we can tap into each other's databases and what we can do to help each other move forward. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rosie, for having me. I look forward to that. No problem. Have a beautiful day, my dear.